So our first reading comes from Judges 6, 36, following through to chapter 7, verse 20. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool, wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung it out on the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me more, one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Early in the morning, Jerobal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped in the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley, near the hill of Morak. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to water, and I'll sift them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord said to them, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands in their mouths. All the rest go down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their their tents, but kept the three hundred, who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give you into into your hands. If you are afraid to to attack, go down to the camp where your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites, all the other eastern peoples, have settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A, A round of loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the word of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, 
Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the three hundred men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them, with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the, of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets that they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, I've never, ever in my life been part of an army. I've never in my life been into battle. I've never actually ever in my life had a physical fight with anyone, except for perhaps, probably I did with my brother when I was younger, because everybody does, don't they? But the point is, I wouldn't have a clue where to start when it comes to fighting a battle. I dare say I wouldn't be your first choice for a front line of an army, but I would dare to guess that doing things the way Gideon did things wouldn't be the best way to go about it. I reckon he was onto a winner at first. He got as many men as he could, 32,000 in all. Not bad, in fact, pretty good, actually. They stand a good chance of winning. But then in two different stages, he sent some of them, them home, most of them, in fact. And in the end, as we've heard, he had just 300 men. 300 men. Really? When he could have had 32,000, he went for 300. It just doesn't make any sense. But maybe Israel's army, which was already outnumbered by the Midianites, maybe though it was small, it was too big for how God wanted to use it. Long-time actress and comedian Gracie Allen once received a small live alligator as a gag. Not knowing what to do with it, she put it in a bathtub and then left for an appointment. When she returned home, she found this note from her maid. It said, Dear Miss Allen, sorry, but I have quit. I don't work in houses where there is an alligator. I'd have told you this when I took on, but I never thought it would come up. It was unexpected, as you can guess. The first move from God with Gideon was equally unexpected. God told Gideon to get rid of everyone who was scared. He was to tell them to go home. If they didn't really want to be there, then they didn't really have to be there. They could simply go, and 22,000 of them took him up on that offer. Why or why would you let so many of them go home? Surely there is strength in numbers. Well, for Gideon, their leader, this was a test. It was a test of his faith. His army was 32,000, but it was already overmatched by 135,000 Midianites. Yet God thought his army was too big, so he commanded them to go home if they were scared. And he was left with 10,000 men. 10,000, that's still quite a lot, still not bad. And I imagine he was probably more slightly surprised even by the amount of men who'd gone home. He probably hoped that only a few hundred would have left, but he couldn't have been more wrong. And the thing is, they'd assembled in a place where they could see 
the 135,000 Midianite troops. So I imagine the sight of such a vast army had scared them half to death. So why did God do this? It just didn't make sense. I suppose if the Israelites would have won, well, fought and won with 32,000 men, they could have taken the glory for themselves. They could have put it down to talent and strength and wit. They could have thought that they'd managed to outmaneuver the Midianites. They could think that even though the odds were against them, they'd come through and won in their own strength. They could have thought it was bravery and their own abilities. But by cutting down on the number of men, the chances of them winning were so unlikely that if they did, victory would clearly be God's victory. But when the number was down to 10,000, God asked Gideon to do something even more unexpected with the men. He took them to drink, as we heard before, and those who bent down and lapped the water up had to be sent home. The others who brought the water to their mouths, which was only 300 of them, they were to stay and fight. 300. That's less than 1% of the original army. That's probably only, like I said before, only a few more than what we get here on your average Sunday morning. This was not going to go well. God had already reduced his army from 32,000 to 10,000, and now he reduced it to 300, because 10,000 were apparently still too many for God's purposes. Hudson Taylor had definite convictions about how God's work should be done. He said, we can make our best plans to try and carry them out in our own strength, or we can make careful plans and ask God to bless them. Yet, another way of working was to begin with God, to ask God his plans, and to offer ourselves to him to carry out his purposes. Gideon's men were doing it God's way. Gideon's men were putting their whole trust in God and relying on him for the outcome. So whilst what was going on wouldn't make any sense from my perspective or your perspective, from God's perspective, it totally did. Because men who remained had put their trust in God for a positive end to all this. The people of Israel, now more than ever, had to rely on God. And it's the same with us, isn't it? When there's only a few of us and we do something and we manage to achieve something, it's very easy for us to give the glory to God. But if there's a lot of us, we tend to just carry on in our own strength. What we need to remember is that everything we do should be God-centred and for his purposes and his glory only. But here with Gideon, God made wanted to make sure that he alone got the glory. The glory was to be God's, not anyone else's. But let's think about that test in itself, the whole how you drink the water. It seems to me to be a strange test. And there are different ideas of why God used this to separate the soldiers. Perhaps it was because those who cupped the water in their hands and brought it to the mouth were better soldiers because they were still alert, they still kept their eyes on the surroundings and were still aware of what was going on around them. Whereas the ones that bent down and lapped it up like a dog, then they wouldn't be on guard against sudden surprise. Some commentators say that God eliminated the fearful and those who took the easy way first and foremost. But God assured Gideon that victory was certain, even though there were only 300 of them. They were outnumbered 450 to 1, But Gideon and his army had put their trust in God because, well, they had nothing else to trust in. They had to, he was, he was the one who they knew they could trust in. 
So Gideon his army, um, he had his army, and God spoke to him, and he told him to go down to the camp and to hear what was being said. He said that that would strengthen him to be assured that Midian was actually delivered to him. So he went down to the enemy's camp, and he heard um, one of the soldiers say, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley tumbled into the camp of Midian, and it came into a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then this companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered the Midian, delivered Midian and the whole camp. This, of course, filled Gideon with confidence because he knew that the Midianites were now scared. But let's think a bit more about what that dream actually means because it's a loaf of barley, right? How does that signify God giving Gideon the whole camp? Well, only the very poor ate barley bread. The vision meant that the camp that the Midianites um, had would be knocked over by a humble nobody. It was something that was worthless, something reserved usually for dogs or other animals. Gideon was that nobody, but he wasn't a nobody with God. It was no accident that the man had a dream and that Gideon overheard him telling it to someone else. It happened to build Gideon's faith and confidence, and so that he would know that actually his enemies were scared of him. And Gideon's encouragement was contagious. He'd have been encouraged by what he heard, and he'll pass it on to others to encourage them. And I think this part of the passage is really interesting, because it shows us that God cares for every aspect of our lives. He brought Gideon and the Israelites encouragement when they most needed it. He brought them encouragement when they were in a place of utter weakness. And he still does things like that these days, doesn't he? When we need it most, God still strengthens us through maybe a dream or a vision or just a conversation with a friend, or even maybe in our circumstances. But in this case, it came through a dream, and its interpretation was clear. God was going to give Israel the victory. And Gideon's reaction to that news said it all. He worshipped God. On the strength of that encouragement, he was so sure that they were going to defeat the enemy, and it was because of God that they were going to defeat the enemy, that he gave him the glory. He had a new confidence that he could trust God to do what he'd promised and trust God to be with them. He was able to go ahead in faith and against all the odds. He'll have held on to those promises and he will have been encouraged in faith. And when we're encouraged in faith, we should hold on to the promises we receive too. So with his small army, which was now just the right size from God's perspective, they got ready to go into battle. But just when things couldn't get any worse, it couldn't get any weirder even, they do. Instead of sticking together, Gideon splits them up into three lots, so there's now a hundred each. What can you do with a hundred people? They all had a trumpet, empty pitchers, and then they put torches inside those pitchers. And we're told, he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also shall blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and 
of Gideon. Right at the start, I said I was no expert on fighting battles, but it doesn't seem that Gideon is either. A picture with a torch in it and a trumpet. Questionable. Very questionable. Put yourself into the position of the soldiers for a second. You know you're massively outnumbered. You were massively outnumbered from the start and now even more so. All you'd be hoping for is the most amazing new, uh, brilliant technology weapon that you can find. So you take your place in line and Gideon hands out the weapons and you get an empty jar, a pitcher and a trumpet. Well, thanks, Gideon, but no thanks. I'm not sure that's going to really help. Because what would they do with them? Burst their eardrums? Play really badly out of tune so that they were driven to distraction? It didn't make sense. But you know, with God, natural circumstances don't come into it. When you're weak, he will prove that he himself is strong. And God struck the army of Midian with a surprise attack. They awoke with an explosion of noise, which was, of course, the Israelites with the trumpets and the torches. There was an explosion of noise, light and movement from all directions. No wonder they thought they were being attacked by a bigger army than they actually were. And the Israelites cried out exactly as they were told to, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now that wasn't pride on Gideon's part. Instead it showed wisdom in the attack, because clearly they were already afraid of Gideon because of the dream that one of them had had. And shouting helped send them into panic. And interestingly, the first phase of the battle wasn't between Israel and Midian, but between the Midianites themselves, because they turned on each other in the panic. And it took a while, and there is more to the story than that, but the point is, the victory was won. God had won. The battle was his. The whole account of Gideon and his army shows us that God can take weak people and weak situations and difficult situations and completely turn them around for his glory. He's been doing that for thousands of years, and he's still doing that now. God had decided to make weak Israel even weaker. And he did that so that they would fully rely on him. And it was simply in order that they would put their whole trust in him, not just part of it, but every single bit of trust in him. And he does that sometimes with us. Sometimes we need to trust him so that he can show us more of himself and more of his work on our behalf. When things go our way, it's easy to just ignore God or take the glory for ourselves. If God had allowed Israel to defeat the Midian with only a quarter of the number of the Midianites' men, then they would have taken the credit. But they might have given him a bit of talk and praise, but when all said and done, they would have thought it was just in their own strength. But with the few that they did, it was clearly down to God. And it was clearly obvious through what had happened that God was at work. You know, when God works a miracle in our own lives, which I very much still believe he does, then let's remember to give him credit for it and not ourselves. When we focus every part of our lives on him, even through the difficult times in our lives, even in the midst of hurt and pain, an honest testimony about God is an amazing thing. If we all took a moment to think about things, I'm sure we could all think of a situation when God made something impossible without him become possible with him. Whatever that thing might be, we need to be witnesses to these things. A 
guy called John White in a book called The Fight says this, a good witness isn't like a salesman. Emphasis is on a person rather than a product. A good witness is like a signpost. It doesn't matter whether it's old, young, pretty, ugly. It has to point in the right direction to be able to be understood. We are witnesses to Christ. We point to him. When we trust God with our lives, and when we see him at work in our lives, then we become those signposts pointing others to God. Not pointing people to our own strength and our own ability, but pointing simply to God and the trust that we have in him. And when we trust God, God can make impossible situations possible. He can turn the weak into the strong and he can do anything. So what I want you to remember this morning is that God can use every single one of us for his purposes, no matter whether we think we're good enough or whether we don't. If we trust him to do things his way instead of ours, then yes, chances are it's going to be difficult. Chances are it's going to be like you're facing 135,000 people when there's just 300 of you. Not everything will work out every time, but we can always trust him with every part of our lives, no matter what. We're going to, in a moment, uh, share communion together. And as we do, as we get ready to do that, let's stand and sing together. You're the word of God the Father, number 1669.